This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Gold. From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele. Our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. What a World Cup for Megan From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapino's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. Welcome back to Prospect 101. Again, this is the show where we break down football prospects from all levels, talking high school, talking college transfers, college recruiting, NFL prospects, and the NFL draft. And as always, Prospects 101 is brought to you by our great partners and big supporters of the show, Blue Wire Pods and Bet Online. Remember, you can always interact with Prospects 101 on social media. That's at Prospects 101 Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, We're always interacting with our fans throughout the week, giving out great engagement content. It's also a great way to just make sure that you're up to date with all the new episodes. And again, as we're on our way to the 2020 college football season, uh, you know, we're releasing probably about at this rate, guys, we're about three or four shows a week. So it's a great way to stay involved uh, and never miss great college football content, uh, especially as we lead up to the 2020 uh, season kicking off here shortly. But the Prospects group is, again, back together, guys. This is the second show in a row that we've all been back as a threesome. But, as always, I am jo- jo- uh, joined by my first co-host, who last evening did exactly what I did, which was partake in the old sweet drink of whiskey, Brandon Pastel. What's up, guys? Yeah, it got to the point where it was like 11 o'clock, you know, I should go to bed. And then I had a little bit of Crown Royal. Three hours later, I was trying to find myself back into the uh, hotel hotel room, so... Whoops. Yeah. I, I mean, one, it's just classic pastel. But two, I mean, it's just something that whiskey does. Like, I know when I start drinking Maker's Mark, I just get really in this baseball mood. So I just, like, turn on just random baseball documentaries. So first, I looked at the integration special 
which is kind of cool. Like they're kind of learned some stuff there about like baseball integrating and, and everything going on uh, now with the, you know, the black Lives ladder, the black lives matter movement, just kind of educating myself. It was, uh, it was, it was pretty good. And then, you know, some more makers mark. And I found the 2019 Washington nationals documentary. So nice. I mean, I had to watch that, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, so my it was me and my friend Makers Mark last night, so that was good. Anyway, so I also have my second co-host on with this, Kenny Keller, who's been on an absolute tear when it comes to getting these interviews. If you guys haven't listened to them, uh, we've released them on our pod, um, yeah, uh, UTSA. Uh, he's also entered a guy from Louisiana Tech, and then you know he's also been doing a couple things within the ACC. Kenny, say hi to the people for us. What's up, everybody? Yeah, it's been really fun. Been getting to know a lot of the college football community and a lot of beat writers locally. And we've also got some other cool things with potential coaches and interviews with coaches coming down the line. So stay tuned. But we're definitely grinding behind the scenes to get you the best content we can give you. Yeah, it's, it's been awesome. And I, Kenny, I got I to gotta tell you, listen to a couple of the interviews. Man, you sound like you've been interviewing people for a long time. <laughs> I, that's, a, that's a full-blown, non-biased compliment. I appreciate it, man. It's fun. I, I like. I, obviously, you can't tell. I enjoy talking. So doing the research for those interviews has been really fun. Yeah, it's been it's been good to really learn about a lot of those schools firsthand, like UTSA and um, obviously Louisiana Tech's kind of been always been a decent Division One program, G five. But it was cool to listen to a guy from uh, um, is it a uh, blue? No, 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 Louisiana Tech. Oh, uh, bleed Tech blue. Lee Tech Blue, yeah. That guy was really good. I actually really liked that interview a lot. Listened to that a couple times. but Yeah, Ben was great. <clears throat> Anyways, all right, guys. So, you know, if you've listened to the show, uh, last couple episodes, you know the concept that we're doing leading up to the 2020 college football season. We're really taking each conference week by week, and we're doing a conference overview, uh, breaking down a lot of the prospects as well as uh, talking to beat writers and doing a couple interviews with people who know that conference. And this week, it's the ACC, and this is a conference that really hits home for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for you know, Pastel, you're a big Virginia Tech fan. Well, I mean, they're in the ACC. Kenny, you're a Wake Forest fan. It's right there in the ACC. Um, you know, I, I I have family ties to Clemson, and I've always really liked the program. So, um, you know, for me, it's 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 nice to cover a conference that you know, have ties for all of us, which is really, really exciting. So today we'll kind of go over the state of the conference. Again, we'll, we'll tear it down in the coastal division, the Atlantic division, go over kind of what their 2020 looks like, best returning players and kind of what to expect. So Pasta, we'll kick it off with you in the coastal division uh, for the ACC. And let's start with a team that although that they had a miserable year last year, uh, three and nine overall, but on the recruiting trail, they are absolutely tearing it up. And that's the University of North Carolina Tar Heels led by Mac Brown. Yeah, Matt, Matt Brown, I think it's not – you don't have to be a genius looking at the college football landscape and understand that UNC is on the rise. UNC, I think, right now has the fourth overall ranked recruiting class in college football. They're above, you know, big-time powerhouses like Alabama, like Auburn, and, and so forth. And that's kind of just a testament to what he's been doing the last few years. I mean, he has back-to-back top 30 recruiting classes. Uh, and you look at his quarterback right now, Sam Howell, is arguably, you could argue, a top five quarterback right now in college football, and he's a true sophomore. Like, if he could declare next year, he probably would be a first-round pick, but he's a true sophomore. Uh, you got 
phenomenal players like Chas Surratt, who really just bursted onto the scene last year with over over 100 uh, tackles. And you can see his pass rushing ability, too, extremely fast. I, I, that's going to be the guy we're going to highlight in a later segment as far as prospects to watch in the uh, ACC. You got Diami Brown, who's a dynamic wide receiver, Daz Newsman, uh, Storm Duck. You have four offensive linemen uh, coming back. Now, if you really look at their uh, record last year, it's kind of deceiving because every one of their losses was by a touchdown or less. Like they could have easily beat Clemson last year. If you remember, they almost beat Clemson last year, and it was a was a two point conversion, I think, or they lost by two. But Clemson came down, and what's in them like the last minute? That's what it took to beat uh, UNC, and we wouldn't be probably talking about them yeah, being a national championship. Clemson last year. Won, Clemson won that game twenty to nineteen. That was a really tight game. Yeah. Um. So UNC, the, the arrows pointing up. They have a lot of returning starters. The over under on Bet Online is eight and a half, which I think, mind Ooh. you, everyone in the uh, coastal. Ooh. Like, I would argue it's a three-headed race with Miami, UNC, and Virginia Tech. They're probably all around that eight, eight-and-a-half uh, over-under because it's very that, it's, it's, that's, it's very even right now in the uh, Coastal. So UNC is trending up. I still personally think they're a year away, like a year away from competing and overtaking Clemson. I think this year, I, I mean, we'll see how much Sam Howell progresses. They have a pretty tough out-of-conference schedule this year, uh, this year, and it all starts back-to-back-to-back. So they start with UCF, who we all know is pretty good. Uh, G5 program. Then you go to Auburn, who I think right now is projected to be a top 10 team. And then they have to go to probably their toughest contest, which is JMU. Uh, So very, very hard schedule to open up with before they actually get into the ACC schedule. Yeah, I, I I would take the I would take the over the over under to be honest. I mean, they went seven and six last year, four and four in conference, thirtieth in S and P plus. Like those are really good returning numbers. And Sam Howe is a top five quarterback for sure, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with that, and and I will say I want to stand corrected, guys. Um, they did not go three and nine last year. They went seven and six and were four and four in the division. I had my standings up here, and it was for 2017, and I was like, <laughs> that's not right. I mean, UNC had a lot better year than that. But I'm not gonna lie. When you started saying like three and nine, I was looking at my my notes, and I'm like, what team is he about to throw it to me? I like, know, I know, no, no. It was I I have my ACC thing here on a monitor, and it was 2007. <laughs> I I scratched my head. I was like, there's they didn't do that last year, but stats are stats. Anyways, so that is an early botch by me, so I will be better, guys. I promise that. <laughs> Anyways, so let's so let's go from um, UNC to Pastel. Your you know your boys down in Blacksburg. Obviously, look, last year I, I got to be honest with you. After they lost to Duke, that I thought Virginia, I thought Justin Fuente was on his way out of town in a suitcase. Um, but you know what? He to his to his credit, he rallied the boys and, and actually ended up having a nice season going 8-5 and five, uh, there in the Coastal. Yeah, for James Tech, I do believe he's going to be a team, like I said, up there with UNC and Miami this year. Like, they absolutely could win the Coastal. They have a very good team. They have one of the best offensive lines in uh, the ACC, and they've got a lot of good returning starters. NFL-type caliber players like Caleb Farley. You've got uh, Rashard Ashby, who's probably a later-round pick uh, next year's draft. Uh, Kamari Connor, Christian uh, Darisol, the offensive lineman, and then most importantly, you have Hendon Hooker, who that turnaround last year was all because of Hendon Hooker. As soon as they inserted him, they had a huge win over Miami last year, and then they just kind of won, I think it was six out of eight or six out of nine games, really, uh, to round out that year uh, before that devastating loss for the first time in 15 years or so to UVA, which I can I just cannot get over right now. Um, but I, I see them as a, a nine-win team next year. I would Their over-under on bet online is – eight and a half, kind of right along the same line as uh, UNC. I personally would bet the over because I think experience is going to be key in a no-off-season COVID-19 environment where 
I think that coaching staff, for the most part, is coming back, minus Bud Foster. Obviously, Bud Foster uh, left, but and Justin Hamilton is taking over uh, for him. But they have it's roughly like 17 starters, 17, 18, 19 starters coming back, and they have some pretty good transfers like Justice Reed, who was a one of the best defensive linemen in the FCS ranks last year for Youngstown State, who had 12 and a half sacks, uh, 19 tackle for losses. And this guy, I think he came from NC State. He's like it's like a sixth year in college football, but he's gonna be a big time uh, player for them. They got Khalid Herbert, who's probably one of the top transfers in football at the running back position. He's from Kansas. And then Raheem uh, Blackshear from Rutgers is another running back position, which is key to highlight because I would argue Virginia Tech's weakness the last few years has been the running game. So you kind of insert a good running back into probably one of the top three offensive lines in the ACC, and I think you will see that running game really take off, especially with the dual threat ability of Hendon Hooker kind of really opening up everything. So I think the – I say all that saying, I think Virginia Tech's going to have a great year next year. Great being nine wins, possibly ten, if they can kind of beat some players. The big game next year is going to be Penn State, by the way. That's like week two for them. And if they can beat Penn State, then this whole whole season is going to be huge uh, training arrow. Uh, but the, even if they lose, though, it's not going to be the end of the world because uh, I don't think anyone really expects them to lose. But they could win that game. Um, but the problem with them right now is obviously the recruiting trail. I mean, they were last in the ACC last year, and right now currently they're, I think, 13 – in the ACC, like they're, they're they're getting a lot of decommitments and they're getting a lot of people that are transferring to other schools. So that's definitely worrisome. They're not recruiting in their home state. They're recruiting in this stupid, uh, you know, Texas to Virginia Tech motto that they got going right now, and it's not paying out for them. So I think while they might have a good year next year, I think the problem right now is in two or three years from now, what are they going to be looking at with back-to-back horrible recruiting classes? It'll be interesting. I I think the big key for them and to really focus on is going to be the defense and new defensive coordinator, Justin Hamilton filling really kind of a legendary figure at Virginia tech <clears throat> guys that the old Virginia tech that we knew growing up is gone. Right. I mean, there's no Bud Foster anymore. There's no, you know, Frank Beamer, all of that. Virginia tech has decided to move on for better, for worse, you know, but eventually all, all good things come to an end. So we'll see if they can kind of, get this new Virginia Tech going. And again, Brandon, like you said, a lot of the changes in recruiting philosophy. But I think Justin Hamilton and his, you know, success as the defensive coordinator is really going to be something to watch, guys. I mean, before this, he's only been a defensive coordinator once before. And, Kenny, that's at your school, Virginia, uh, UVA at Wise. Other than he had stops at VMI as an outside linebacker, inside linebacker coach and special teams coordinator. And then really he was the director of player development on defense in 2018, safeties coach, and then kind of gets this promotion really, and he's only been a defensive coordinator once. So I think that's the biggest thing to watch and that may hold Virginia Tech back. But, Brandon, to your point, they have a lot of people coming back on defense. And nothing is better for – a de- for a new coordinator to come in than having experience and experienced players on the on on that side of the ball, so that should definitely help him out a lot, no doubt. Yeah, ten starters, ten stars on defense is what he's getting back. That's impressive. It's impressive. So, kind of uh, changing here, another school that I've personally been down. I see the over under is about eight and a half. Uh, I'm actually. I think on defense they're going to be outstanding. But, Brandon, I'll let you cover the Miami uh, Miami Hurricanes here in depth. Yeah, Miami is one of those guys that's like, do you want to believe in them or do you not? Like, it, it, and I, I, can't credit, I can't discredit you if you say you don't think they're going to be good next year. Now, Bet Online again, has them at 8.5. It's just kind of to prove my point that all three of these teams I just mentioned, Vegas has them exactly at the same exact over or under, 8.5. So it's really a three-headed race and who's going to win. 
I think a lot of it does depend on Derek King, the transfer from Houston. He's coming over after, if you remember, in 2018, he was nearly 3,000 yards passing and 1,000 yards rushing. He was extremely dynamic. And you can say whatever you want. Bottom line is when you produce stat line like that, the guy's dynamic. He didn't do very well uh, last year, and that's why he sat out after, like, I think it was game four and decided to redshirt that year and then use the transfer rule to come over to Miami. But not only is Manny Diaz, who they went six and seven last year, um, they have a lot of, obviously, like you say, Gless, returning players. They have Gregory Rousseau, who's probably a top five talent in the NFL draft next year. He's an extremely skilled defensive end. They have another uh, transfer who was uh, Quincy Roche from University of Temple, who was one of the most dynamic pass rushers last year in college football. I think he had the most uh, pass rushes, actually, or pressures in college football last year. Uh, then you also had a transfer from, uh, I think it was UCLA. He was a five-star prospect at one point on the defensive end, uh, or defensive side of the ball as well. So you have guys like that. You have Derek King, who's an extremely dynamic. You have uh, Jarrett Williams, uh, another transfer from Houston, who's going to be an offensive tackle. He's going to be really good. But the problem with Miami, and this is why I think it's going to work, is because Derek King is very athletic. Is they had 51 sacks last year, guys. Like it was horrible. That offensive line was garbage last year, and that really was the downfall of Miami football. They couldn't get anything going on offense. But you insert a dual threat quarterback that you can, you know, kind of have a worse line and kind of make plays on top of a arguably outside of Clemson the best defense in the ACC. Uh, I think they've got a puncher's chance at at the Coastal and winning it just because I think the dual threat quarterback in Derrick King is going to give them that opportunity that they didn't have the last few years to really ascend himself. Now this is completely could, it could fall on the, their, uh, their face and this, this team could suck, but we'll see. And also Brevin Jordan is probably one of the top tight ends in next year's draft as well. He's probably out, right outside of Pat uh, Firemuth. Um, and the guy uh, who's the guy from uh, Florida drawing a blank on his name, the tight end, but uh, he's probably the third best tight end in next year's draft. So, I think their arrows pointing up. I'm not sold completely on Manny Diaz yet, but I do think he's got the skills, the skill players and the, de- the defensive uh, playmakers to make it run at the Coastal next year. Look, at, at the end of the day, they got to be better on offense. Miami's been atrocious on, on offense on offense for what seems like a decade. They haven't had a quarterback in place for a long time. Their skill players, in my opinion, have been an absolute failure. Uh, at my, that's just how I feel about Miami. I mean, I, I don't. You know, they, they've always been able to produce really good defensive players, but in the offense, like I like to say, they stink, Coach, and they've stunk for about a decade on offense. So when it was um, – it, it, it was it, no, Go ahead. Go ahead it, was no more, it was no more evident than them getting shut out by Louisiana Tech in their bowl game last year, 14 nothing. Like, I mean, <laughs> a, a, dude, in, in no way, shape, or form should Miami get shut out by Louisiana Tech. Like that is in, that should tell you the state of the program, and that's why I'm so down on them. I, I, I get that they have a lot of talent on defense, and I think that their defense is going to keep them in games. Is, is Derek King the answer there? I think he had a really great 2018. But to be quite honest with you, I'm not really sure I like the makeup of this kid. I don't, I'm not sure if I, I want a guy that – after had had three bad games, decides to redshirt and then ultimately abandon his program and leave his coach hanging out to dry. Um, I, I'm not sure I like that kid leading my program and leading my team. Well, so, and here's my my biggest is, my biggest issue with King outside of even that would be yeah he had a re- he was very dynamic uh, in 2018, but you know outside of Texas Tech who doesn't have a defense, his P5 numbers weren't great against P5 teams, his P5 stats. And then last year, he, you know, he didn't do very well against Oklahoma, which, okay, it's Oklahoma. I'll give him a little bit of a pass there. But then he put up awful numbers last year against uh, another P5 opponent and, and a G5 opponent. Like, he was terrible against Tulane. 
Um, so I'm just not sold that that he's the answer. He's going to be the biggest X factor for this team, whether they win the Coastal or not. It's all going to rely on Derek King. If he's the real deal and he's what we saw in 2018, they'll do great. If he's what we saw in 2019, I don't think this team's going to be much better than they were last year. Yeah, I mean, I, I see a lot of talent on this team. I also see tons of flaws. Um, offensive line is embarrassing, um, and, and and we'll see. I mean, again, if they're going to win that, oh, I think Bet Online has them at eight and a half. I'm definitely taking the under there. Um, I, I just I'm just not sold on this team on offense to to win nine games. I, I mean, that, that's just me though. But I'm very biased. I've been biased about the Miami program for a long time. So you know, I think some of that bias is kind of kicking in. And uh, I'm going to move on before I bash Miami even more. If we have any Miami Hurricane fans that listen to our um, <clears throat> our pod, so I don't want to don't want to overly offend them, guys. So I'll go ahead and move on to so the next of Pitt Panthers and and guarded by Pat Narduzzi, who I think is one of the best defensive minds in college football. So Pat, how do we see the Pitt Panthers ending up? Pitt, they, they could be a dark horse as well. I mean, they probably got one of the better defenses uh, in the ACC. I mean, mostly because Narduzzi is kind of just a genius on that side of the football. Uh, last year they were eight and five, had a pretty decent year. Even even though I think their offense struggled uh, behind, I think it was new offensive coordinator. They have a lot of returning players this year uh, to include their quarterback. But outside of the quarterback, they have you know NFL type of caliber players like Paris Ford, their safety, probably one of the best centers in college football. And Jimmy Morrissey, he's probably a top three center, probably a day two pick uh, over there. And they and they just had oh, and for, I forgot defensive tackle Jalen Twyman, who's probably already. Unless I know how much you you love him, he could be a first round pick next year's draft. And the guy had yep. over yep. ten sacks as an interior defensive tackle or lineman. Like this guy was incredible. As far as uh, Pickett, the quarterback, I mean, he threw for three thousand yards last year, but it was ugly. I, I will say that. Uh, and a lot of his big time games were against subpar uh, teams. So. I'm not completely sold on him, but I think that had a lot to do with, you know, the change in offensive schemes. And we'll, we'll see what he does his uh, second year underneath that system. But I think the over-under for them is six and a half. I think that's right. I would probably take the over, actually, on that. Probably I think they're a seven-win seven, seven win team. But uh, I think a lot of that has to do with their defense being so strong. And I think the development of Pickett at quarterback will kind of push them over the uh, that six-and-a-half win. Yeah, they certainly have to be better on offense. Defense, they're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to be good. Again, I love Jalen Twyman. I um, think he's a really great interior defensive uh, defensive pass rusher. I think so, you know, coming out, keep an eye on him. Had an incredible 2019. Moving on, uh, guys, a team that I'm really kind of fired up about on the defensive side of the ball. Actually, Kenny and I watched uh, some film earlier this week against uh, Louisville, but I think that the Virginia Cavaliers, led by Bronco Mendenhall, are going to be powered certainly by their defense. But I think that their defense can keep them in a lot of games this year. Pastel, how do we see that playing out? Are they going to be just as competitive again? They they were the ones that won the Coastal and ended up playing Clemson last year in the ACC championship. So I mean, I guess you can call this bias. I, I'm trying to be very objective here. I don't think they're going to be as uh, good this year. They lost a lot of talent, even though they probably have the best linebacking core in the ACC with Noah Taylor and uh and Snowden over there. They're both athletic freaks, by the way. Like I think Noah Taylor is six five and Snowden is six seven. Uh, they're extremely athletic linebackers. But all that being said, they they're not going to do very well this year. The over under is six and a half, and I agree with Vegas on that. And they had the transfer from uh was it Mississippi State, Kenny, uh, the quarterback. Yeah, he- Keithion Thompson. Keithion yeah, so Thompson. That, that's probably the X Keithion factor Thompson. in all this is how is he going to do? And if he can really, de- 
you know, pick up where he left off in Mississippi State and kind of be that prospect that we all thought he was going to be there, then that's where that's where you hammer the over if you really believe in him. But if you don't believe in him, I don't think UVA is going to be that good. Guys, mind you, and Kenny, I know you're probably going to defend this pretty hard, but, like, he's got a losing record right now at UVA. Like, Bronco Mendenhall does. He's 25 and 27 going to his sixth year, fifth year. Uh, and I know he just beat Virginia Tech for the first time in 15 years or so, and they finally won the Coastal. But if he has a subpar year this year and he can't even make a bowl game, I'm not going to say his seat's going to be hot, but I'm telling you in a year or two now, if he can't get back to what he was last year and he overall has a losing record in seven years, what do you do with him? Well, for one, you got to remember – he took over the program. The program was what, like two and ten, the 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 year after he took over, and then he inherited a really really bad Virginia team. Went two and ten his first year, and he's made three straight bowl games. When's the last time UVA made three? Presented uh, themselves in the championship game. So I, I disagree with that. I'm not saying you know his seat might not be warm if he has a losing season or two, but. To say he's going to be on the hot seat if he doesn't make a bowl game this year, I think is crazy. I mean, he just donated $500,000 of his own money. And sorry about that, guys. We're having some technical difficulties with the software that we're using. So Kenny will join us here in a second. But, Pasto, why don't we just go ahead and finish up the Coastal here? Um kind of have the two bottom feeders as I think us collectively as a group see. So let's start with the Duke Blue Devils and Coach David Cutcliffe. Yeah, uh, Cutcliffe, they get the, the bet on line over under is five and a half. I think that's right where it needs to be. They've got not a whole lot of, uh, you know, dynamic playmakers that are returning next year besides Chris Rump, who I think is going to be a NFL-type talent next year, even though he's just going into his junior year. He's one of the better defensive ends in the ACC. Outside of that, you got guys like uh, Shaka Hayward, linebacker, who's pretty good, and Michael Carter at safety to kind of really solidify that defensive back uh, field. But really, you don't have a whole lot on offense. They do have Jace, Chase Bryce, sorry. He was the Clemson backup last year for Trevor Lawrence. So really, that's probably, their, again, their X factor. is how, A lot of transfers in the ACC, by the way. But the uh, question is, how is he going to do? And and if he can do well, I guess Duke's outlook is okay, somewhat bright, but I'm not completely sold on them. Honestly, I don't think they're going to be very good. I would probably bet the under on the five and a half, which is pretty low to begin with. But we'll see how Chase Price does, and that's really kind of like if there's any hope in Duke right now, it's it's him. And just rounding out the Coastal Georgia Tech, uh, they were three and nine last year. Jeff Collins took the impossible task of converting a triple option offense into a spread offense with the players that weren't designed to run a spread offense. Uh, I think. Again, he had 10 running backs on his team with no tight ends, and he had an offensive lineman that was severely undersized that really had no pass blocking ability. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how he does the second year there. I think his recruiting classes are going to are trending upwards. I mean, they're top top 30 recruiting classes back to back years. So I think he's got the skill and the talent coming in. Uh, he's definitely a year away because he still has you know Paul Johnson's players there, uh, but he's got a four star quarterback. Uh, that's going to be a freshman this year, and that's Jeff Sims. And by all means, he's going to be a star in the ACC. So the question is how quickly can you get him adapted into your system? And it's not going to be easy, obviously, because there's no been no offseason. So I think it's going to be kind of a loss for Georgia Tech this year. The over-under is two and a half, uh, and I don't know if I bet over on that. So that's kind of just rounding out the Coastal. Again, my prediction is Virginia Tech's going to win it. Oh, wow. That is an unbiased, totally objective opinion right there. So I, I was I was struggling to try and figure out who I would pick to win the Coastal just because – guys, this is a really cool stat. Listen to this. So since 2013, Duke 
Georgia Tech, UNC, Virginia Tech, Miami, Pittsburgh, and Virginia have all represented the Coastal in the ACC championship. In seven years, you've had seven different Coastal winners. So it shows you the kind of parity and what has been going on in the Coastal. And now, for me, I think as much as it pains me to say this because they're my least favorite team on the planet, I think UNC is going to represent uh, the Coastal and the ACC Championship. I think Sam Howell's too good, and I think what Mac Brown is doing there is just really, really extraordinary. Yeah, I think I, I'm glad you guys mentioned UNC and Virginia Tech because I think it is going to come down to those two schools. Um, I tend to side with UNC when I look at, look at both of them. That's just because I'm just such a bigger believer in Mac Brown than I am in Justin Fuente. Um, but it doesn't mean that Virginia Tech isn't talented. I think it's going to come down to those two teams, whoever wins the Coastal, and unfortunately would have the, would have the pleasure of playing, uh, you know, more than likely the winner of the Atlantic Division, which is more than likely going to be Clemson, and which is a great segue into us introducing the Atlantic Division. So, Kenny, obviously no shocker here. Clemson, I believe, has won the last six the last six ACC championships. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, the last five, and looks like they're favored to be six, uh, a sixth ACC champion. What can we expect from Clemson this year? Do we expect them to be the national championship contender, or do we kind of see them as kind of an eight, nine win team and expect them to take uh, a step back? There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. No, they're just going to reload. I mean, this is a team that's full of four- and five-star recruits, and they don't rebuild, they reload. I mean, look at last year. They lost their entire defensive line to the NFL draft, and all they did was make the playoffs again and make the national championship again. They're, so unless you live with your head in the sand, I mean, they're 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 one of the most elite programs in the country. Their over-under is 11.5 wins, according to Bet Online. Their out-of-conference games are Akron, Notre Dame, the Citadel, and South Carolina. Notre Dame is the one game, I think, that they could be contested in. Other than that, I think they're going to march through the ACC. I mean, they're led by Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. Both guys are probably going to be favorites to be Heisman finalists. Uh, They have to replace four offensive linemen, but again, they're just going to reload. It's not like they're just going to have a bunch of noobs joining the team. I mean, their entire team depth-wise is better than 99% of what the ACC has to throw at them. Uh, Their defense is led by Tyler Davis, who was a beast as a true freshman. All three defensive linemen return. Like I said, it's business as usual for Clemson. They're going to represent the ACC, uh, the Atlantic Division, and the ACC Championship, and they're going to win the ACC Championship. I I don't think anybody's even on the same page. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you, and I don't think there's really more that needs to be said about Clemson that everybody doesn't really, really, really already know. I mean, led by Trevor Lawrence, who 
you know, most kind of see as the best quarterback prospect to come out in the last, you know, 15, 20 years. Travis Etienne is super explosive. They've got four or five-star recruits all over the field. And guys on defense, I mean, they're always so good on defense. And if you can play good on defense, you're going to be competitive week in and week out. And the fact that they can score points in bulk and pretty much stop anybody on defense, I mean, look, I, I don't see anybody really challenging them in the Atlantic. But for living up to what we're saying here, and we want to cover everybody, so, you know, in the Atlantic, we'll move to another school that Kenny and I watched film of this school this week, and I actually really like what they do on offense. It's very unique what the Louisville Cardinal do and what Mikhail Cunningham does on offense. So, Kenny, what can we expect from the Louisville Cardinals here in 2020? And do we see them as kind of that next best team to be here in the Atlantic? Louisville has the ability to be team chaos in this division. And what that means is they can go out and drop 70 on you one week or they could go out and maybe drop 20 and and they could run with anybody. So, and. I don't think they can run with Clemson, but I think they can score with Clemson, which I think is interesting. That's that would that's going to be a fun game to watch. I mean, they have 15 returning starters. Um, they're out of well, the out of conference games are Murray State, Western Kentucky, Notre Dame, and Kentucky. The over under for bet online is seven and a half uh, this year. They have 15 returning starters, eight on defense or eight on offense, seven on defense, and they have tons of production coming back on offense. Mikhail Cunningham is developing into a star quarterback. Really got better as a passer as the year progressed. And he really just needs to focus on staying healthy, but he's super dynamic. Uh, Javion Hawkins is a stud running back. You're talking about a guy with 1,500 yards rushing last year and nine touchdowns. He's returning. And then you have Tutu Atwell outside at the receiver position who might be the most explosive player in the country. I know we've talked about him on past shows, but he had 1,200 yards receiving, 18 yards per catch, and 11 touchdowns. I mean, his speed, he might be the, he might be the fastest player for sure in in, in, in the conference, and that's including over Travis Etienne. I mean, he's just absolutely dynamic. Now, on the other hand, the defense leaves a lot to be desired. They're one of the they had one of the worst pass rushes in the ACC. They had one of the worst overall defenses in the ACC, giving up 33 points per game last season. Good for dead last in the conference. Really, the only bright spot I saw was Rajay Burns, outside linebacker and former Ohio State Buckeye. He had 11 tackles for loss, two sacks, and a pick. He was pretty dynamic, but other than that, I'm this defense needs to take a huge step forward to, for them to be competitive. Yeah, and mind you, they have the also, Kenny, the 18th overall recruiting class right now in college football. Like, Scott Scatterfield is an unbelievable recruiter, and I think that's the – if there's, like, you know, the prospect of them actually competing for the ACC, it's the fact that he's such a great recruiter, and this – these back-to-back recruiting classes that he's had so far in a year from now or two, like they're absolutely going to be competing. Yeah, I really like Louisville. Um, I think, you know, Kenny, to your point on offense, they can easily drop 70 on you, right? And just because what they do is very unique, it's very outside zone-based, multiple backs. I just think that really they need to get better in the passing game. A year ago they were pretty dreadful, but I think if you see a lot of development with Cunningham as a passer, I think this team could be very, very dangerous. and possibly kind of sneak up on you with this win total um, just because they can easily put points on you. And if you're not ready as a defense, you can blink your eyes and be down by 30. So Mm -hmm. now kind of moving on to another school. And look, guys, no if and buts about it. This school's got a lot of work, got a new head coach, and that's the Florida State Seminoles. Yeah, you talk about a program that has just really underperformed the last, you know, 
five years, and that's Florida State. Uh, you know, nobody's better at taking four- and five-star talent and doing nothing with it in the country than Florida State's been the last couple of years. But they're out of conference games or against West Virginia, Samford, Boise State, and Florida. So they have a pretty tough out-of-conference schedule. Um, West Virginia should be better this year under their second year of Emile Brown. Boise's Boise. Boise beat Florida State last year in Tallahassee. This year it's going to be on the blue turf. And then Florida. Florida's probably going to be one of the best teams in the SEC. So their over-unders at 7.5, which I feel like is pretty fair. They have 15 returning starters, 6 on offense, 9 on defense. And they have a new head coach in Mike Norvell from Memphis. And I'm a really big fan of Mike Norvell. I think he can do good things at Florida State. He's, he, he had a really high-octane offense at Memphis, and he did a really good job of developing a lot of NFL talent at Memphis. I mean, if you look at the last couple of years, Memphis has had a lot of guys get drafted, and a lot of that's due to the fact that Norvell was able to take that talent and really develop it. Uh, they've returned James Blackman at quarterback. You know, a decent quarterback. He needs to cut down the amount of turnovers. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's pushed by true freshman Chubba Purdy, who's brought Purdy's brother, you know, starting quarterback at Iowa State and one of the best quarterbacks in the Big 12. Well, Chubba's actually a more highly regarded quarterback out of that family. So it would not surprise me to see him push James Blackman for playing time. Um, the source of their woes on offense, and Gless, we saw this when we were watching film against Clemson. Unbelievable. Their offensive line is one of the worst in the country. And it's been one of the worst in the country the past three or four years. And honestly, it wasn't even really close. If you look at a lot of the advanced statistics on pro football focus, they are consistently rated one of the worst offensive line units in the entire FBS in repeated years. So they really, really, really need to get better because it, James Blackman and, and Alex Hornibrook and whoever else has been back, and DeAndre Francois, who's ever been back there the last couple of years, has just absolutely taken a beating at the quarterback position. Uh, you know, though, I will say this. They are not void of playmakers. Camorian Terry is an absolute stud and might be the most underrated position player on offense in the entire country. 6'4", 203 pounds, extremely explosive and fluid and fluid athlete. He's one of those guys who makes it look effortless. Like, he just burns the entire defense, and you're like, wow, I didn't lucky he's running that hard. He had 1,200 yards receiving at 19 yards per catch and nine touchdowns as a sophomore, and I'm really excited to see the next step he takes, and, and I'm hoping that Florida State can produce – uh, some enough time for him to get down the field and be even more dynamic. Now, in defense, Marvin Wilson is the top dog. Eight tackles for loss in the interior, five sacks. He's a really disruptive interior defensive lineman. And I really like Asante Samuel Jr. in the secondary. He had a great season with one interception and 14 passes defended, and he's routinely checking the opposing team's best receiver. And then safety, uh, Hamza Nasriel Dean is the truth, man. He's an extremely rangy safety with plus athleticism. He had two interceptions last year with a pick six, and he led the team in tackles. Uh, so defensively, they should be okay. It's offensively is where they really, really, really need to step up. I just can't get out of my head how bad they were on offense. So just so our listeners know, Kenny and I looked at the All-22 film uh, against Clemson. I get it, right? Clemson, you got four or five-star dudes on the defensive line, but I tell you what, the the difference in talent from the Clemson defensive line to the Florida State offensive line, I mean, you would have you would have thought that it was like a JV versus varsity. I, I was appalled, and 
to be quite honest with you, embarrassed for anybody associated with the Florida State football program that they actually rolled out five dudes on the offensive line that were that bad. I mean, it was one of the worst I've ever seen. I can't believe a program like Florida State actually has that much of a depth issue on the offensive line. So, Kenny, to your point, I think defensively um, they'll uh, they'll kind of be competitive in in that perspective but man they got a lot of work to do on offense they they really do I they have a lot of playmakers I'm just hoping that whoever the quarterback is you know James Blackman can get the ball to those playmakers because Mm -hmm. until they improve on the offensive line I don't think that they're going to be scoring a whole lot of points now again like you said Mike Norvell I think is a fantastic hire I think he's really the guy to turn this program around. So I'm excited to see what he can do. But I think it's going to take time. I think it's going to take some time, especially on offense, you know, recruiting and getting depth on that offensive line because that's very, very much evident and very much needed. Even watching Florida State for a half, you can kind of tell. So, and that kind of moving on in the Atlantic. Kenny, I know you're going to go on and on about this, so I will try to rein you in a little bit. Let's talk about a a school that really, to be honest with you, is on the up and up, um, and they have kind of, in my opinion, one of the most slept-on head coaches, and that would be the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Yeah, so I'm actually going to be pretty uh, brief with this preview. Um, We have an interview with... We have an interview with Connor O'Neill. Special. <laughs> we have an we have an interview with Connor O'Neill, who covers the Wake Forest Demon Deacons uh, and the Winston Salem Journal. That's going to drop later this week, so I don't want to spoil too much of some of the knowledge he was able to drop on that interview. But yeah, Wake Forest, uh, really solid program. Dave Clawson, like you said, is probably one of the, probably one of the most underrated coaches in the program. They're coming off four straight bowl appearances, which has never been done in team history, and we're really living in peak Wake Forest. Um, you know, a peak Wake Forest program right now. Their out-of-conference games are against ODU, App State, uh, Villanova, and Notre Dame, the over-under six and a half, and a lot of that's going to depend on what they can do out-of-conference. I think if they can beat App State and go three and one, because I don't think they're going to beat Notre Dame, then then I think that over six and a half feels pretty good. If they go two and two, then the under is probably a little bit better. But they have ten returning starters, three on offense, seven on defense. And that's a little misleading on offense because they have a grad transfer named Terrence Davis coming in who started 31 games for uh, the University of Maryland. 2018 starting quarterback Sam Hartman will be the starting quarterback this year. He started as a true freshman, lost his job to Jamie Newman last year, and now is starting again. So, and then they have pro football focus, highest rated running back, freshman running back in the country last year, Kenneth Walker III. So all technically not returning starters, but they have significant experience and they are very known commodities. So I, like I said, I think the three start returning starters is a little misleading on offense, but it's obviously going to revolve around what Sam Hartman can do. He's bulked up a lot since his true freshman season and he had his moments. He's a gunslinger. And what comes with gunslingers is he's going to lose – you know, he's going to throw picks from time to time, but this guy's not afraid to make throws and he can make every throw on the field. So a lot's going to revolve around him. Dave Clawson likes to use dual running backs. So you're going to see a good dose of Kenneth Walker, the third and Christian Beal Smith. And what's really the most exciting prospect on offense is Sage Surratt. He was lead, he was the NCAA leading receiver through nine games last year before he hurt his shoulder and had to miss the final four games of the season. He had a thousand yards receiving at 16 yards per catch and 11 touchdowns. And he's going to be paired with Donovan Green, who's Wake Forest's highest ever rated recruit, uh, who 
played the last four games of the season and looked really, really, really good. So big expectations for the receiving core. And on defense, they're led by Boogie Basham, a potential day one pick come April of next year. 18 tackles for losses with 10 sacks and three forced fumbles. And he anchors a super deep defensive line that's going to be able to rotate six or seven guys. The biggest thing, the biggest question mark on defense is how they're going to replace Isang Bassey and Amari Henderson, their starting cornerbacks who are now in the NFL. What the good news is, is keep an eye on Jay is Josser Taylor. He had two picks as a nickel corner last year. It was second on the team. But when I talked to Connor O'Neill, he said this guy was the most excited in spring practice because new defensive back coach Paul Williams wants to run a lot more press coverage, and that fits Taylor's skills to a T. So we're really expecting big things with him as the number one uh, corner this season. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's their, that's their, that is their preview. And, like I said, I'm going to leave a lot – on the table because I really want guys to listen to our fans to listen to Connor O'Neill on the interview. We drop it later in the week. I'll say this, Kenny. I will say Wake Forest. I think you could arguably say they they were one of the worst P5 programs in the whole entire country prior to Dave Clawson. Like the history of Wake Forest in general is one of the worst P5 programs. But what Dave Clawson has done in the last few, well, really his whole entire tenure, is make Wake Forest relevant now and really compete for uh, the ability to at least cause uh, havoc in the ACC and, you know, teams like Clemson and so forth. But really the, the, job, the job he's done recruiting and really developing, probably more on the developing side of the house, is phenomenal. I, I'm more high on the other receiver, Kenny, not Sage Rod, but was it Donovan mm-hmm. Green? Yeah. He's that a kid is a freak, man. Um, so I, I, as much as it kind of pains me to say, uh, I think Wake Forest's era is obviously trending up, and I think what he's been able to do at Wake Forest, I don't think you can really speak highly enough of David Clawson well, right and, now. And- and for those who are who are unfamiliar with Wake Forest who are listening, this is a program that in literally over a hundred years has made ten bowl games prior to Dave Clawson becoming head coach. Under Dave Clawson, they've made four in a row. So right. to, to I mean to give you an idea, they're the third worst program in terms of winning percentage in the entire NCAA. Yeah. yeah. So what Wolf, I mean major wolf. I, I mean, so what he's done with that program to beating teams like Texas A&M in the Belt Bowl and, I mean, just consistently competing with guys like Florida State and, and teams like that, it has been absolutely incredible that he does not get enough credit. And to me, it's a slap in the face. He hasn't been considered for a major P5 program. Yeah, I think it's something to keep an eye on. And, again, like the job that he's done with finding and developing talent – I think has been really incredible. And I know they've done a lot of upgrades down there. The program's really trending upwards as far as investment from the from the athletic department and, and getting that going. I think this is certainly a program to keep an eye on. And I personally hope that Dave Clawson stays there for a long time because I'd like to see them be a force year in and year out in the Atlantic. I think it would make, make ACC football a lot of fun to watch. Kind of moving on to another school who is actually going to be um, – it's a challenge, but they have a new head coach in Jeff Halfley that they hired from Ohio State, who is the defensive coordinator, and that's the Boston College Golden Eagles. Yeah, and mediocrity is the term used for Boston College right now because if you think about what they did under Steve Adazio in the last six years, listen to this. They went 7-6, seven and 7-6, 3-9, 7-6, 7-6, 7-6, seven 7-5, and 6-6. Like, I don't know how much more consistently you can be a six, seven-win team than what Boston College has done in the last six years. And 
at, at some point you eventually have to cut ties with that. Adazio didn't do a bad job because Boston College isn't necessarily a premier school or premier job, but at the same time you you have to have someone who generates a little bit more excitement than seven wins a year. So they brought in uh, head coach Jeff Halfley, defensive coordinator from Ohio State. They're out of conference games this year against Ohio University, Kansas, Purdue, and Holy Cross, and their over-under is four and a half. They have 11 returning starters, five on defense, six on offense. But the biggest thing is they lost their all-world running back, A.J. Dillon. The passing game was close to last in the conference, and it's tough to see it improving a ton with Dennis Gorsell at quarterback because he brings back a 48% completion percentage. Now, they do they do have some good news. Phil Yurkovich, who I'm very, very high on actually, is transferring from Notre Dame and would be a huge shot in the arm at quarterback, but as of now, it's uncertain if he's going to get a waiver to play right away. Their offense is really led by Tyler Vrabel, uh, one of, uh, a, very, a top-end offensive line prospect and son of Titans of Tennessee Titans head coach Mike Vrabel. But that's really it on offense. Like I said, there leaves a lot to be desired. On defense, Max Richardson, outside linebacker, leads, leads the way with 14 tackles for losses and three and a half sacks. And I also liked what I saw on film from Brandon Sebastian. He's a solid corner who had one pick and nine pass to, passes defended last season. But he was really able to play on an island and lock down a lot of top receivers in the ACC. And to be honest, a lot of teams just avoided throwing to him. So they're, they're not great on offense, and they're not necessarily great on defense, which you know it pretty much plays in par with their seven-win uh, record they've had the last you know six years. But I don't see this team being bowl eligible, and, and honestly, I think four and a half is a fair assessment on them on over. Okay, I about say because of their <laughs> their non-conference schedule, I may take the over on that four and a half. I mean, they're easily going to win three of these games. Um, you know, I, and that really only leaves them having to win two ACC games. Well, and so I may hammer that over because I think that, man, that non-conference be, schedule is pretty easy besides Purdue. Be careful, Gless, because remember Kansas hammered Boston College last year. I mean, they absolutely they absolutely took it to them. So yeah, I would still I, Kansas. They don't get any respect from me. I would be careful, <laughs> man. It just they got yeah they 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 won that game forty eight to twenty four. So that was yeah uh, I remember I remember that yeah. So I'm, I'm marking that. I'm marking that up to a fluke, Kenny. I'm marking. <laughs> I'm going with my Boston College Eagles, and I do want to make that correction. It is not the Golden Eagles. It is the Eagles. The Golden Eagles would be Southern Miss. Here's a fun, uh, fun little fact. They got quarterback Sam Johnson there from uh, Walled Lake Western. If you remember in the FCS segment we did last week, I highlighted another quarterback from that school, uh, Zach Trainer, who signed with Eastern Illinois. Remember. So that program, just to highlight Western or Walled Lake Western, has now had back-to-back quarterbacks signed with, you know, decent-sized uh, Division One programs, and Boston College has one of those quarterbacks, and Sam Johnson, who I think is going to be a pretty good quarterback for them. Kind of moving on from a school that is trying to get a new head coach in there to integrate his program to another school, Kenny, whose head coach, his seat – just couldn't be hotter right now, and I could see this job easily open up if they don't have a better season. But what do we see out of the North Carolina State Wolfpack here for 2020? Yeah, Dave Doran's seat is in fuego. You know, they won four games last year in 2019, and their over-under isn't much better, according to Battle Line, at four and a half this year. Their out-of-conference games are against Mississippi State, Troy, Delaware, and Liberty. 
which says something because, honestly, the uh, NC State team should have no problem putting away Troy, Delaware, or Liberty. So if they go 3-1 and one at a conference, that means Vegas only thinks they're going to win a game and a half in the ACC, which is garbage. That's really, really bad. They have 11 returning starters, 8 on offense, and 3 on defense. And to be honest, the 8 on offense isn't necessarily – it's not heartwarming. It doesn't make me feel warm inside that they have eight returning starters on offense. They had one of the worst offenses in the country. They didn't even score more than 28 points in an ACC conference game last year. Like they just, it was pathetic on offense. They had uh, returning starter. Devin Leary was not impressive at all. He had a 48% completion percentage and I'd keep an eye out for Ben Finley, younger brother of former NC state and current Cincinnati Bengals quarterback, Ryan Finley, uh, a true freshman who, I would not be surprised if he comes in even in a, in a COVID-shortened offseason to come in and win the job because there's just n- the cupboard's completely bare on offense. Now, the one bright spot is Bam Knight. He's a solid running back as a, as a freshman last year. He averaged 5.5 yards a carry as a, tr- as a freshman in 2019, and I think he will continue to get better. But there's, just, uh, there's nothing else on offense we're talking about, to be honest. It's just, it's just really, really, really bare. On defense, keep an eye on – uh, outside linebacker Peyton Wilson. He was highly recruited and was a very, very productive freshman in 2019, led the team in tackles. Um, and again, though, not the worst thing to have only three starters returning on defense because the defense gave up 30 points per game last season. So maybe yeah. bringing in some new blood uh, will will help shore up the defense. But I'm not confident Dave Doran returns after this season. You know, I might take the over four and a half just because of their out-of-conference schedule, but I don't see this team as being a bowl, a bowl team, and I don't see – Dave Duran returning next season. I think he'll end up getting canned. Yeah, it could be one of those few five jobs. And, you know, we've talked about on previous podcasts, you know, it's, it's hard to see what P5 jobs actually become available. But I think that, you know, if he goes he four or five wins again, I, I don't I don't see him returning to, to NC State. And that would be a position that would certainly open up for, you know, one of another P, you know, a, a G5 coach to make an upgrade. Um, if they decide to go that now rounding out the Atlantic, we have the Syracuse Orangemen um, over over and under uh, via Vegas and, and bet online is five and a half. Kenny, do we see them kind of matching up to that? Uh, how do you see the 2020 playing out for Syracuse? I was so torn on Syracuse because I loved what Dino Babers and Eric Dungey were able to do at Syracuse. Um, you know, Dino Babers, if you remember and, and how far, kind of his stock has fallen, you know, within the last year. Dino Babers was talked about to go to some major, major, major P5 programs, and they were expecting him to jump ship. Now, obviously, he stayed, and they went 5-7 and seven last year, but, you know, after a 10-3 and three season at Syracuse. So I, I don't know. I don't know which – I don't know what team – what team we're going to see. And they have nine returning starters. Their offensive, or sorry, their um, out-of-conference schedule is against Rutgers, Colgate, Western Michigan, and Liberty, which I think are all four winnable games for them. They're over-under is five and a half. They have not, uh, like I said, they have nine returning starters, four on defense and five on offense. But they just took a big step back. Offense was kind of middle of the road in the ACC. They weren't great and they weren't necessarily terrible. Um, 
you know, but they had to, especially when they, you, you thought they had to replace, you think that back they had to replace Mr. Do-It-All quarterback, Eric Dungy, who was an absolute stud. And Tommy DeVito was actually solid, but he needs to find another gear to open up the offense. He he played more as a game manager last season versus a playmaker. Taj Harris looks to break out at wide receiver with Tristan Jackson no longer in front of him on the depth chart. He showed a ton of upside and a lot of promise last season, so if he can take the next step, that'll really help the offense. Uh, but, you know, on defense, the front seven lost a lot of production. They lost six starters. And, again, similar to NC State, it might, necessi- might not necessarily be the worst thing because they had one of the bottom-tier uh, defenses in the ACC last year. Defensive in Josh Black is the only returning starter on the front seven. Uh, the secondary is really, really solid, and that's going to be the strength of this defense. It's led by free safety Andre Sisco. He's an absolute dynamite playmaker. Seven interceptions as a freshman in 2018, which led the country, and he had five last year with a pick six in only nine games as a sophomore. He's an, he's the active NCAA interceptions leader and just an absolute havoc, a true classic center field type free safety and 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 just an overall leader on this defense. So if the defense can step up and play a little bit better and the offense can improve on the middle of the road, I do see the uh, middle of the road offense they were in 2019. I do see them being a, a bowl team, a fringe bowl team, like the over-under says that five and a half, but I would feel comfortable taking the over if I knew the defense was going to play a little bit better. Yeah, certainly a school to keep an eye on because, like I said, it could be it could be kind of a disaster season for the Syracuse Orange, or you know it could be one where they can pull a couple upsets and and win seven eight games. So certainly interesting to see that to see how it plays out for them here in the Atlantic. I mean, they got a lot of teams that they got to get through. So that's the Atlantic again. That's Clemson, Louisville, Florida State, Wake Forest, Boston College, NC State, and then Syracuse. Kenny, is there anybody any way possible that anybody just gets touched by God on a Saturday and is able to upset Clemson here in the Atlantic. I mean, it, it's it's college football, so anything is possible. I remember if you remember a four and eight Syracuse team beat Clemson a couple of years ago, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. The only team I think that could do it in the Atlantic would be Louisville, just because their offense is so potent. And like you said, if they got touched by God and their defense happened to show up that day and forced a couple turnovers, then I think Louisville is the only team that offensively could run with them. I'm not as high on Florida State. I think Florida State has the talent on the roster, but I just don't know if they're quite there yet. So I think if anything, maybe Louisville, but honestly, no, I don't think anybody in Atlanta can. I think Clemson wins the Atlantic walking away and wins the overall conference as a whole walking away. I don't think anybody in the Coastal has anything for me either. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Pasta, what do you think? Do you think that Clemson runs away with whoever they play, whether it be Tech or UNC, and gives them a fight, at least a fight in the ACC championship? I think that's one of the things I've kind of noticed the last five years is that, I mean, the winner in the Coastal literally just signs up to get blown out by Clemson. I mean, it's really kind of ridiculous. So is it? do you see that kind of being the same trend? Um, yeah, Clemson's going to Clemson's gonna run uh, away with this. I mean, they might stumble against, like, can you said Notre Dame later in the year? But as far as the ACC, they're going to run away with it. The only team I can see them possibly challenging them, even though I have Virginia Tech winning the Coastal, I think the most potential on a team is North Carolina. So if North Carolina is able to reach that potential, then they would give Clemson their best shot in the in the championship. Yeah, I, 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 t- I tend to agree. Go ahead, Kenny. I thought you were about to say Virginia Tech there for a second, Brandon, and I was about to just disconnect. 
<laughs> Anyways, it kind of a consensus here. Clemson runs away with it. I don't think anybody really sniffs a candle. I think Clemson will have one game on their schedule. I don't know which one, just because it always ends up this way, where there's a team that'll get close, um, a lot like North Carolina did uh, last year, the year before Syracuse. But, I mean, you're Clemson. You got four- and five-star dudes all over the field. You got the best quarterback prospect in the last 20 years. Really nothing to be worried about. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see how the other teams kind of shake out. Uh, here's you have teams like Miami and Florida State looking to get back to where they are or where they were, once were as a program. Uh, both have a lot of work to do. But I think looking at schools like Louisville, looking at schools like Wake Forest, Looking at schools like Virginia Tech, it's exciting to see what they can do this year in the ACC. So if you're an ACC fan, I think it's wide open, uh, aside from Clemson, to see who can win that Coastal Division and who can really kind of challenge Clemson. It'll be interesting because you have a lot of really good programs here. But let's see what rises to the top uh, and who challenges here in 2020. So kind of moving on to the segment that we always like to end our show with, and that's a prospect to watch segment again this is the segment where we cover a prospect that maybe not a whole lot of people know about um or you know somebody that really hasn't gotten his due diligence as far as national exposure and i'm going to call uh i'll need some help from kenny here because he watches him a lot but boogie bashman defensive end out of uh wake forest he's had three extremely productive productive seasons at wake forest already six in program history with five and a half sacks and has 31 career tackle, or, uh, tackles for loss as well. Last year, uh, ranked second in the ACC with 11 sacks and 14th nationally. Great size kid as well, 6'5", 275. And guys, I, you know, for being that big, he's incredibly athletic. And I love his bull rush, and I think it's something that, you know, he, he really has to start owning. I think sometimes he may get carried away a little bit and try to be fancy, but He's so powerful. His bull rush move, I think, is really what makes him elite. Kenny, what else do you got to say about Boogie Bashman? Um, it's not a it's not a surprise. Uh, Boogie has become as productive as he has at Wake Forest. I mean, this is a guy who is the three A state player of the year and in, in, in the state of Virginia, which is known for having amazing. What, what's going on? Yeah, what high school did he go to? He went to Northside in Roanoke. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so he was he was the state's 3A player of the year in Virginia in a state that's known for having very, very, very skilled high school football players and, and really a hotbed for college recruiting, uh, one of the top 10 states in the country. And then not only that, this is a pretty cool stat. He comes into this season with 18 consecutive games with a tackle for loss, the longest streak in the country. He's the only player in the country to have a streak longer than 12 games. So he's incredibly disruptive. That's the biggest thing you can say about uh, Boogie Basham is he's incredibly disruptive. He's great against the run. He disrupts the – he has a great um, pass rush. He's able to disrupt the flow of of, of the passing game. I mean, just he does everything really, really solid. He's not necessarily an elite athlete, but everything he does is really, 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 really good. I think he has a chance to break into the end of day one. That's kind of the ceiling I've seen a lot of draft analysts give him is, you know, he could be a mid to late day one pick, but more than likely he's probably going to be an early second round guy. But I would not be surprised if he snuck in and becomes a, a really productive player at the next level. I really liked his film, and I can't wait to see what he does here in 2020 because I think he does, at least size and production-wise, definitely has a chance to be a day-one pick, um, you know, if he really excels here in 2020. But a guy that everybody should keep their eye on, and especially opposing quarterbacks, no doubt. So, 
As always, you guys can follow and interact with the show on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's at Prospects101Pod. Again, we're always posting our content throughout the week, polls, engagement. Love to get your feedback on all of that. You can also listen to us on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure you subscribe to stay up to date. We have a lot of great content upcoming again this is the stuff about the ACC we've got interviews we've got more breakdown of prospects for the ACC and again more content to follow after that again what really helps us out guys if you love the show please make sure you give us a five-star review we've been getting a lot of those recently but I always want to hammer that home because really that's what helps us the most in order to grow the show Uh, and as well always appreciate spreading the word as we've gotten a lot of great feedback going forward um, especially as we're getting ready for college football, I think you know we've taken this prospect concept and really have kind of morphed it into a college football uh, out of the college football lens with this new series, and we've gotten good, good feedback from that on on all of our social media platforms. So again, please make sure you give us that five star review. Appreciate you spreading the word, and for Gless, for Kenny, and for Pastel, we will talk to you guys next week with some more ACC content.